Good evening, everybody. I am an alcoholic, and my name is Jeff. It's grateful to be here at the world-famous Monday night speakers meeting. Um, you know, they say uh, service is gratitude and action, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here tonight is to do some service work. Um, I've been ducking Chuck for a couple of years, and he is one persistent guy, man. <laughs> I ran out of excuses and places to brew coffee and set up chairs. I had to show up. Um, you know, uh, I first first time I stepped into this meeting, which was actually on Central Avenue, I was about 11 days sober, and I'll tell you a quick story about it. Um, it was my first, one of my first resentments against an AA group. <laughs> uh, I, I think I was about 11 days sober or so, and I, and I came into this meeting, and um, I had a really cool announcement from my group that I was going to bring here and stuff, and obviously you guys didn't let me give my announcement. And <laughs> I think about 11 guys welcomed me, and I was looking for a 12-pack, and uh, I, I left here uh, confused of all the uh, all the enthusiasm and zeal that you all have, and that's and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I found that enthusiasm and zeal myself somehow through uh, through a higher power and through Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm, I'm grateful that I eventually got to where you people are, where I'm I'm happy to be in an AA meeting because I wasn't back then, and um, you know uh, uh, I have since put that on paper as my sponsor made me do back then, and that's what we did when we had a resentment. We put it on paper, and we find out what's going on. Um, try to get to the root of the problem, and usually it's me, 99.9% .9 of the time it's me. Um, I still haven't found that other point still, so <laughs> honesty, 100%. You know, my, my service sponsor says, uh, I always shake when I get to the mic, and she says, that's God shaking the truth out of you. So <laughs> I think uh, what I'll do is, um, before I tell uh, in a general way what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, I think I'll tell you a quick joke. Because that always, that always helps me. I don't know if it's going to help you or not, but it's going to help me. And it's, it's all about me right now. And um, <laughs> uh, there's this guy who goes into the bar, and he's sweating. And he's, uh, he says to the bartender, he says, like, pour me 16 shots. Hurry up. Pour me 16 shots. And he, he's drinking them as fast as the bartender can pour the things. And the bartender says, yo, slow down, buddy. Take it easy. He says, you don't understand. He says, if you got what I got, you'd be drinking these things this fast, too. And the partner says, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. He says, what do you got? He says, 50 cents. <laughs> and, and that's the way I like to drink. I like to drink with your money, not mine. <laughs> uh, did I say I was an alcoholic? I'm an alcoholic, and my name's Jeff. Hi. Can, can we do that wave thing real quick again down this side and back up this way? Cool. Lame wave. Um, you know, uh, I come from a family, uh, had five children in it. Uh, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and moved out to the suburbs shortly after I was born. And, um, you know, I think I had a normal childhood. My childhood keeps getting better the longer I'm sober. <laughs> when I first got here, I had a real bad childhood, and now it's not that bad. Uh, so uh, that's changing, too. It's amazing the things that can change when you get sober. Um, you know, I remember um, the, the, my first drink, and it wasn't significant. I love when people talk about their first drink because then the room gets quiet. Everybody's always going to talk about the first drink. No one, no one cares if you talk about your first taco or your first cheeseburger. It doesn't seem to <laughs> excite anybody or get anybody going. Um, my, my first drink was of no significance. Um, I, I kept peeking down the basement. My brother and his friends kind of turned it into a party den down there, and they finally yanked me down the stairs and got tired of me snooping and seeing what was going on. And they threw me in a refrigerator box and, and filled it with smoke. And when I asked for something to drink, they handed a bottle of whiskey under the box. And 
I got sick and I swore I would never smoke that whatever it was and I would never drink that whatever it was again. And um, that was a lie. Um, my first drink of any significance was, um, I was, think I was 14 years old, going on 15. I, I had a sister who was born the same day I was, four years after. And uh, she had died of Raya syndrome this day, the day that I took my first drink. And um, she was 11 years old. And uh, somebody said, here, if you, if you drink this and, and take one of these, the, the pain will go away. And um, the pain went away. It, it, it worked. And, um, you know, I, I found a magical way to make pain go away. And uh, I did that for a long time um, after that first one. Um, I pretty much ran amok. I was a crazy kid, got in trouble in school a lot. And, um, you know, didn't care for authority, didn't like rules, got arrested several times. Maybe I'll talk about one of those. I'm not sure yet. I, I never know where I'm going to go with this. I, I hate finding out ahead of time that I have to speak because I've already spoke for three weeks before I got here. It's like, we still got us going on, you know? It's like, hey. You know, they, they told me, uh, I like the, the committee. When they first told me, they first named it and they gave it a committee. I remember the meeting I was at when I heard it had a name. I was like, all right, they've got a name for the people in my head. I was like real happy. And, uh, you know, my, my committee has changed since I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous. When I first came here, it was like Hitler, Hankley, and Manson were my committee. <laughs> and today it's like Mo, Larry, and Curly. They're, they're all, it's so right. You know, I'm still different. I'm not all better by a long shot. God's definitely not done with me. But um, I, I got I got a happy I got happy guys in my head today, and that's a good thing. Uh, they know how to give and receive love, and uh, I didn't have to do that before I got here. That's for sure. Um, you know, so I, I pretty much partied through high school, and I I didn't really like drinking that much. I did I did a lot of other things, and I'll try not to talk about that too much. Um, as a respect of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, I wish I could have told that. I wish I could have told those guys back then. I can't buy that now because 32 years from now they'll get mad at me if I talk about it in a meeting. <laughs> but that did not occur to me 32 years ago when I was purchasing dry goods, as one of my sponsees likes to call them. He calls them dry goods and whatever. Um, I'd like to change the way I felt, and I would do that any way I could. And it was a lot easier to buy dry goods when I was underage. Um, plus, I hated the taste of alcohol. I absolutely hated it. You know, we talk about this degree, disease being uh, progressive. And, um, you know, when, when I was in high school and my buddies would go to New Jersey and we'd see bands or whatever, and I was pretty much a lightweight. I was like 112 pounds as it was. And I would take a couple totes of something and drink a couple sips of uh, uh, Fuzzy Navel or uh, Boone's Farm, and I'd be pretty much on my way. And, you know, from the 28 years from when I started to do that at, at little rock bands, we would go see in New Jersey, Talking Heads and whatever. 28 years later, I found myself wanting uh, grain alcohol, moonshine, straight gin, and heroin and crack. And uh, this disease is progressive. Um, I went from there to there within my 28-year period, and uh, it was a scary ending, that's for sure. And, um, you know, uh, when, uh, when I was 19, my father kicked me out of the house and said, because uh, he got remarried, and um, he wanted to move on with his life, so he kicked all the boys out of the house. And... Um, I moved into this place. It was a Fairways Goffin Country Club. A buddy of mine was running the place, and I did like the cousin it on the third floor thing. And uh, we just partied so much at this place. And I, I worked there, and I worked as a painter also. I, I took a summer job as a painter in 1974, and I'm still painting now. So <laughs> what a long summer, dude. And uh, 
You know, my dad said get a civil service job, and I had I had plans. I had better plans. You know, these people these people did the things that I like to do, so I stuck with them, the painter people. So uh, I lived at this golf course and um, and just partied. And that's all I did was party. I, I found myself. I was, I was 24 years old. Um, I'd been living in that golf course for about eight years. I was working all night long, watering the greens, mowing in the morning, and then I'd go off to work painting and, and continuing. It was like Bill Murray and Caddyshack. We just partied around the clock continuously, and it was complete insanity going on. And, uh, you know, I found myself, I was 24 years old. I hadn't had a driver's license, a driver permit. I hadn't paid a bill yet in my name, and I was still a virgin because I was busy getting high. That's what I did. I got high. I didn't care about the world or anything that was going on in it, and uh, I was not part of the world yet, and I was 24 years old. I was just an absolute mess, had no idea who I was. I didn't know Jeff at, at all. Um, I was a scared little kid is what I was, and I was 24 years old. Um, you know, I met a girl there at that golf course, and um, of course she was my first, obviously, and um, you know, um, she... Um, like you're all going to go somewhere while I take a sip, right? Hold on. <laughs> you know, she, uh, she got me into the world. She got me to get a driver's license. Um, but she, she hated the, the, the other things, the dry goods. And uh, she told me it would be okay if you just drank. And, um, and I was used to changing the way I felt in, in, in mass quantities. And um, so my, my, my drinking just completely escalated instantly, I mean, overnight, because um, I had to get to where I needed to get to, like I did before, and I had to do it with just alcohol alone all of a sudden. And uh, that, that relationship lasted for four years, and, you know, after that, after that four years, she left me for some guy that she could marry and have a family with, and I held a resentment about that, and uh, today, uh, today I understand why she did what she had to do. She made a smart move, if you ask me now. <laughs> I would have done the same thing if I had a head on my shoulders. Um, you know, I, I, I met my first wife um, shortly after that, and um, and I moved in with her. And I'm, I'm not even sure if I loved her still. And still this day, I'm not sure. But she partied like I did, and we did a lot of the partying things together. And you know, um, after a, a couple of years into that marriage, she contracted this uh, disease. It was called Guillain-Barre syndrome. She was paralyzed from the neck down, and she was in the ICU for 19 weeks and the hospital total for 26 weeks. She is, she is fully recovered and healthy now. But in that time, um, I, I was just, uh, and I was an absolute mess. I, I was um, evicted from the hospital. I tried to take swings at the neurosurgeons and just, you know, just one angry, angry guy. And, uh, you know, when that, when that marriage ended, it was like, you know, I, I didn't even care. It was like a, like I was giving away a recliner or something like that. You know, it's just, it, it meant absolutely nothing to me because I was so busy doing my thing. You know, we played Let's Make a Deal when we got divorced. We didn't have any lawyers. You know, you take the microwave, I'll take the relaxing chair. You can take the stove and I'll take the comfortable couch. <laughs> I took the things that I needed to sit on and drink and she took the curtains. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and so, you know, my, my drinking and... Uh, progressed more and more after that. And, um, you know, it got to the point in time where I looked for people that, that did the things I did. And um, it's about two years, about two years after that divorce, I decided to try to start my own paint business. And um, I, I had my own business going and my brother had worked for me. And, you know, we were doing a, a lot of, a lot of things uh, along with our drinking. And um, 
uh, went to go wake him up one morning for, uh, for work, and um, he, he was on the floor, and I couldn't get him up, and I couldn't get him up. And so I finally, you know, we, we called the police, me and his roommate, and he was, he was dead. He had overdosed, and he was on the floor. And, uh, you know, that was uh, 1997, June 30th. And, you know, I remember, I remember his girlfriend. I still hear her. She, you know, she screamed at me, you killed him, you killed him. She kept yelling at me. And, you know, it's a horrible thing for somebody to carry around. And, you know, I, I believed it after a while because I purchased some of the things. And, you know, so I carried this guilt with me. And, you know, a, a year later, um, I had met this girl who partied kind of like I did. And one night in the middle of uh, one of our drunken fist fights or whatever, she was bigger than I was. She took me a lot of times. I hate to admit that, but she <laughs> she, she, she went about 122, and I was like 115, and she was built, and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> she knocked me down a few times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're sitting there partying one night, and she said, I have to go back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't do this anymore, she said. And I said, oh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, I'll go. You know, I, I thought we were going to Walmart or something. <laughs> I'll go with you. And, uh, you know, I, I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting with her that night, and um, I had this old-timer come up to me, and he says, what do you expect to get out of this kid? And I was like, yeah, yeah it's... And, um, you know, I, uh, I didn't really know what you people were and what it was about. And I was, you know, contempt prior to investigation, without a doubt. And um, I said, I was hoping you people could teach me how to drink on Friday and Saturday and still make it to work on Monday and not lose my job. <laughs> and he got a good laugh out of me. And, uh, he told me this quick story, actually, about a, a car runs a stop sign. The cop pulls the guy over. And he says, get out of the car. You know why I pulled you over? He says, yeah, I drifted that stop sign. I didn't stop back there. And he's, the cop starts hitting the guy with the billy club. And he says, now, do you want me to stop or slow down? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the message he was trying to relay to me that even if we slow down our drinking, it's still going to kill us eventually. And, uh, you know, I didn't get that message until a couple of years later. Um, that's for sure. I'll give you a few more things to relate to my insanity, and then maybe we'll get to what it was like now and what it, what it was like now and what happened. Um, you know, uh, when I got arrested, I got resentment against the police. I had the same cop arrest me three times within the same week one time. And this one time he came for me, and I grabbed some girl's keys out of her hand. It was at my place, and I cut her finger. You want to get that? Um, and, you know, and he grabbed me, and he handcuffed me, and he was yanking me down the stairs. And we had these, like, eight stairs down over Atlantic, eight stairs down. And I decided I didn't like the way he was twisting me and stuff like that. And so I did a forward roll with him behind me, and we did the tumble down these stairs. So I figured, you know, he's hurting me. I'm going to get him, too. Little did I know, when we got to the bottom of the stairs, there was, like, three other cops, and they beat the living crap out of me. So <laughs> I learned that you, you don't mess with the police. They, they're, they're always going to get you back one way or another. I think it was the same cop that I had court with the week before, and I told him you were all in cahoots. I told him and the judge I got, a, like, an extra $500 tacked on to me because I told him they were all in cahoots. He decided I was guilty before I got here and all that happy, smiley stuff that I love to do. And, you know, uh, if I knew you for more than an hour, I owed you an amends. I, like, have a scroll. It's, like, unbelievable. And, um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the another really sick things I, I did near the, near the end of my drinking, and, you know, actually, when I met my first wife, I'll tell you a quick one of that, too. Uh, we were at the Eagles Club up in Portland, Maine. Her family all lived up there, South Portland, Maine. And I was always corrected with that one. It's not Portland. It's South Portland, Dallin. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I, left, I left the Eagles Club to go up this hill, and, and uh, I was going to go up and, and smoke some uh, funny cigarette real quick while everybody was drinking down at this club. And I got up, and I went through these weeds and up this train track, and I looked down the thing, and there was about 50 yards down, there was this big, 
sucker moose, man, snorting at me. I never seen a moose live before. I was like, what the hell is that thing? And, and he started running at me, so I ran back for the path and I kind of tumbled down because I already had, you know, a bunch of Bloody Marys going on and I cut myself and fell in mud and then I walked back into the bar and it was like 10 hours. I had just met my future in-laws and I'm all bloody and muddy and it's like, I'm back, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, great, great first impression for them. You know, they're looking at her, you're going to marry that guy? Jesus. So, um, you know, the very last apartment I lived in was in Warminster, Pennsylvania. And um, it, was, it was an absolute mess. Um, it looked like a bomb went off in there. It looked like a, a, a place in Iraq or something. It was just horrible. And um, I, I drank myself to the, to the complete insanity state where I thought people were coming after me and people were out to get me and the FBI and the CIA were coming. <laughs> I'm so important that they're all after me. And I decided, uh, you know, I had, a, I had this big cat that I had. Um, and I still have this cat, too. It's amazing the stuff this cat's been through. So I decided I was going to go out in the woods and watch the front door of my apartment because they were coming for me. So, uh, you know, I built like this little tent thing in the woods. I had a cooler full of beers and gin and rolled up a couple fatties and a couple packs of cigarettes, poured all the cat food on the floor and took the binoculars. And I camped out for like two days watching my, watching my front door. And um, th they never came for me. But, you know, I, after that episode, I realized that, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know what? Uh, <laughs> And yet, yet, when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not like to say I'm an alcoholic. I'd rather you tell me I was insane or a drug addict. I did not want to be an alcoholic. I don't. I still don't know what that was all about. And um, you know, um, it was uh, shortly after 9/11. Um, I was uh, I was supposed to come down here for my mother's birthday, and uh, uh, a guy was a friend of my brother's that had passed. I had seen him at some meetings up in Pennsylvania, and um, you know, he decided. Um, that, you know, I think I was writing those death notes that I was going to kill myself. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if I, you know, I know there is some people that really kill themselves and, and try to kill themselves. And I think I, I, I know I was one of those guys that it was just a, a, a cry for help or a call for attention every time I had threatened that because uh, I'm, I'm not cool enough to kill myself. I, you know, I wanted to die, but I didn't want to take my own life. Um, that's for sure. You know, I, I just wanted the pain to end. I was in a lot of pain. And, you know, I had lost a sister, I had lost a brother, I had been divorced, I was mad at the world, I was still upset that Tamara broke, I mean, Tammy broke up with me, and all this stuff was just swirling, man. And I had no idea how to get rid of resentments. You people didn't teach me that yet. And um, so uh, when I got out there, Randy came and picked me up, and he took me to this place that was called, um, what the heck was the name of that place? Northwestern Institute. And uh, lo and behold, it was a mental institute. I didn't know it at the time. He told me he was taking me to a detox. And they, they put me in that place. And uh, it was about, you know, I was about five hours. Actually, I was in there and I was looking around. And I was going, these people are whacked. And, you know, I'm judging everyone. And then it finally hit me. Oh, my gosh, I'm in here, too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's something you might want to look at. You're in here with these people who are whacked, Jeffrey. And, uh, you know, I had a one-on-one -on -one counselor at that place, and, you know, I had been in an outpatient treatment before. I had been in an inpatient treatment before. I, you know, I did 28 days at Penn Foundation up in Sellersville, and, you know, I was, I refused to listen. I was going to do it my way. Um, 
I, I only remember one thing they taught me there. Well, I actually remember a few things. They taught me about people, places, and things, and um, they taught me that if, if, I, if I learn to accept rather than expect, I'll have fewer disappointments in life. I remember my counselor teaching me that one day, and that's a keeper for me still today. Um, you know, the, the day I got out of uh, Penn Foundation, I'll go back to Northwestern in a minute. I pop around, follow if you can, and if not, we're having a good time up here. The, the day I got out of the Penn Foundation, you know, my, my counselor wanted me to go to a, a men's halfway house. And, um, you know, I told him, you don't understand. <laughs> I have famous AA lines, you don't understand me. And uh, I said, I, you know, I, I have a cat at home, I have a job, and I have a girlfriend who loves me. I, I have to go. <laughs> and uh, at, at that point in time, I didn't realize it, and I know it today, that I put all three of those things in front of my recovery, in front of my sobriety. And uh, within 30 hours, I was drinking and drugging again like that. Because, uh, you know, I was going to get to a meeting tomorrow. I was going to say hi to the buds first. I was, I was in a horseshoe league where they had a keg every week. I didn't quit the horseshoe league. I played on a bowling team that was a complete mess and I was the king mess, and I went to bowling still, and, you know, um, you know, they told me to change people, places, and things, and I think if you're new, that's one of the most important things you can change in the beginning is stay away from anybody you drank with, anybody you drank for or against, or anybody who uh, took you to places you didn't want to go, and the places also. It's really, really big to get away from them. You know, I did a geographic cure and finally got sober. And I think, you know, I found out the geographic cure works for the people you leave behind just as well as it does for you if it works. <laughs> I had a big old parade in Half Road the day I left. They're like, yeah, he's going. <laughs> it's the orange stickers on his door. He is evicted. <laughs> you know. well, well, and I got out of that uh, Northwestern Institute, and I was, there for, I was there for 14 days. I was supposed to be there for 28 days. This is back to the Mental Institute now if you're not following closely. <laughs> And um, I got honest with my counselor for the first time, and I told him some things that were going on inside me and feelings the best I could put my feelings into words. And, um, you know, he said he was going to write me a prescription. I thought even after I told him he's going to write me a prescription, all right. You know, and uh, he, he wrote on a piece of paper, and he gave it to me, and it said, um, go to Alcoholics Anonymous and stay away from women. <laughs> I was like, E-S-O-B. <laughs> Uh, one of the best prescriptions I ever got, actually. I, I didn't know it at the time. I was pretty PO'd at him. Uh, uh, so, you know, and uh, I, I got out of there, and uh, I was supposed to come down for my mother's birthday, as I told you all. And uh, so I called mom, obviously. I called mom a lot. Dad was done with me. He didn't want me calling anymore. And uh, mom sent me a train ticket because she didn't want me flying because 9-11 had just ended. Like they're going to, you know, get another plane every week or something, she thought. She, she may be one of us. I'm not sure. I'm not supposed to decide for that. She's supposed to decide for herself. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And uh, I got on the train, and um, I'm riding down here on this train. It's like a 22-hour trip they told me it was going to be or something like that. And uh, I got my uh, – it's been three and a quarter years now since my first meeting, and I got my first big book finally. <laughs> this is how gung-ho I was with you all. And uh, I'm on the train, and I finally I'm going to open this darn book and read this damn thing finally. And uh, I got a Budweiser in my left hand. I got the big book in the right hand. And I'm, I'm thirsty when you read. And uh, I'm drinking this, and uh, these two girls come up to me and ask me if I wanted to go to the bar car with them. And I had been watching them over in the corner, you know, during the first hour or so. And I, I knew they were they were either lesbians or they were pretending to be lesbians. And um, 
I thought to myself, right on, I'm going to get two girls. And, uh, you know, I don't know what made me think that, because I don't think I've ever satisfied one girl. But all of a sudden, uh, I'm going to satisfy two. Hello! (laughs) And uh, just as I got up to go to the bar car with these girls, I didn't have any money with me either. I had like, you know, 20 cents or something. I'm getting ready to go to the bar car with these two girls, and this little old lady grabbed me by the shoulder, and she said, you sit down here. I've been watching you. I see what you're reading. And who are you? And um, uh, it's a little gal that lives in uh, West Palm Beach, actually Deerfield Beach. Her name's Maddie H., and she was, she was my angel that night. Um, she, she was the first person that, um, that made me feel comfortable about people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, if there's anything we can do to a newcomer, it's make them feel so comfortable that they want to come back tomorrow. I think that's the most important thing we can do. And I hate to say the most important. Maybe I should say uh, a very important thing to do is to make that newcomer feel comfortable enough to come back tomorrow. So if you're in your home groups, if you've got somebody new, make them feel welcome. Don't run off in your little clique and go talk to your friends. Go make that person feel important so they come back here tomorrow. Because if they're not going to come back here tomorrow, guess where they're going to go? Yeah, they're going to go back to the bar. And that may be our little window to get them. But you people got me. I didn't want to be got, but you got me. <laughs> now you're stuck with me. <laughs> so uh, I'm on this train ride with Maddie, and she's just gung-ho, AA, this little chick. She's probably about 60 years old now. I get to see her every year at Christmas time, too, at my company Christmas party. I go to her big book meeting with her and her sponsor. And she sat with me for 22 hours and smoked cigarettes and put speaker tapes. She had all these speak Ernie the attorney and all these people. She had all these speaker tapes. And as soon as one was done, she's popping it on my head and she's explaining the big book to me. I thought, my God, this lady's nuts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, she stressed to uh, stay away from people, places, and things to me, too. And that was like the second time that I actually heard it. It probably was told to me 400 times before that was the second time I heard it. I have alcoholic hearing. I hear what I want. And... Um, you know, I came, to, I came here to Florida, and I um, got off the train, and she told me to go to a meeting. As soon as you get in the, in the town, first thing you do. So I, I found some drunk at the pool. He was all slapped up, and I asked him if he knew where an AA meeting was. And he knew where there was an AA meeting. It was wild. And, you know, that was one of those guide things that I didn't recognize at the moment. Uh, I was still all against the higher power thing, and I'll talk about that maybe. And, um, yeah, Charlie, Charlie knew where there was an AA meeting, and... Um, his, his nephew, Ron, uh, had been going to, to the Sunset Group and the Sunrise Group, which is in the Alano Beach Club down in St. Pete Beach. So uh, I, I went down there the next morning. I got out and I got on a bus and went down there. I didn't have a driver's license or anything. Actually, when I, you know, um, I'll talk about that maybe in a minute. And uh, I stayed sober for just going to that meeting and following people and doing stuff. And so I, I thought maybe it was Pennsylvania sobriety was no good <laughs> or something. You know, I don't know what the thought was exactly, but it had something to do with, you know, Florida. I stayed sober for 22 days while I was here. I stayed down here for 22 days. I hope there's no IRS people. I was collecting unemployment, so I was down here using your money. And, um, you know. And uh, I went back home, and uh, I didn't do what you people told me. I didn't stay away from people, places, and things, and uh, I picked up again. And um, you know how the big book says it gets worse, never better? Every time I picked up, it got worse. It never got better, and it got real, real bad. This time I lost my job, became unemployable. Um, I did the thing in the woods watching the house, and um, 
lost my car, not lost my car, but lost my car. I still don't even know what happened to that car. You know, you know we, we talk about losing things in AA. I actually lost the car, but, you know, uh, my, my, I, know, I know where my ex-wife is. I didn't lose her. She's married to some other guy. I, I, know, I know where my job is. I didn't lose that. One of my best friends has my old job. I, I gave these things away because I chose to drink instead. Um, the car I lost. <laughs> You know, two out of three is not bad, especially for baseball, I guess. <laughs> uh, so um, when, it, when it got to that point and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any money or I didn't have anything, and um, I did the alcoholic prayer thing again. I, said, I called Mom and said, Mom, can you help? And, um, and, and my thinking at that, at that moment was I need to get back to that Alano Beach Club because I got 22 days there, and I was clinging on to those 22 days. I remembered them. I remember how good I felt, and I wanted to get back to that. So I, I, for the first time, I decided to leave the girlfriend, leave everything. I wasn't leaving the cat. I took the cat with me. And, um, you know, Mom sent me money for the vet, and the... We get ready to go on a plane the next day, and the vet gave me Valium for the cat. And this is, we get up the next morning, and, you know, I did a tester Valium before. She told me to do a tester Valium on the cat to see how he reacts to it. And then I had to give him a Valium the next morning, and I was like 15 hours without anything now. And, man, I wanted that Valium. <laughs> but I thought about the poor cat, and he had to be in a cage in a plane, and somehow it was like one of my first selfless acts. I, I, gave, the, I gave the cat the damn Valium. And... Um, you know, it was a good thing because our plane got rerouted to Sanford and then we had to take a bus from Sanford over to here and it was just an absolute nightmare. I mean, I, I used to like to cook and stuff like that and I, I left, a, you know, a lot of cooking. I left everything behind. I, I showed up in Florida with three boxes of clothes, 27 cents and that damn cat. And um, I was a total mess. I was just so tore up inside. I had no idea what was wrong with me. And, uh, and I'm grateful I remember. I'm, I'm grateful my higher power let me go through what I needed to go through to get to where I'm at today. And I'm so grateful I remember that pain I was in because I do not want to relive that pain that I was in. I just hated me so bad. I couldn't drink. I didn't want to drink. I could not drink. Oh, the committee was just all angry and telling me what to do with 90 things at once. And Oh, my gosh. It was absolutely horrible. It was the, the four horsemen that the big books talks about. And... Um, you know, so I, I came here and I decided I was going to maybe take the suggestions <laughs> and do what you people told me to do. And, you know, um, I was probably 18 days sober. I had a sponsor. His name's Ray, and he was my sponsor for my first couple of years. I did call him every day for my first two and a half, three years. I went to a meeting every day for my first two and a half, three years. I remember my first three months I was still unemployable, didn't have a job, so I basically got in his pocket. And I went, I went food shopping with the man, unless he went down the baking soda or the wine aisle. I couldn't go down those aisles. And uh, <laughs> when he went and did his laundry, I went to the laundromat with him. I was just so, I was scared of neon lights. They talked to me, and uh, it was just a sweat mess. I mean, I remember uh, Marty at Alano at the 7 a.m. meeting one morning. I was with my hands on the table, and he said, could you please not touch the table? You're spilling everybody's coffees, because I was <laughs> shaking so bad. And, so I had to sit on my hands for a while, and I did that. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I started taking, taking the steps and taking the suggestions. And I was 18 days sober, and I had met Big Book Hank at Koala one night. And um, I asked him to be my sponsor, and he said, no, you have a sponsor, because I shared something at the meeting about having a sponsor or something. And I, I asked him for his phone number, and he gave me his phone number. And um, 
I asked him, do you want my phone number? And he said, no. <laughs> Son of a bitch. He said, I know what you have. I have what you have. I don't want what you have. If you want what I have, you'll call me. So, all right, then. And, uh, you know, he, he, he asked me about, uh, uh, about praying. He asked me about a higher power. He said, do you have a higher power? Do you pray? And um, I said, no, that's ridiculous. I thought you higher power people were cuckoo. You know, um, my family thought I joined a cult, and I actually just jo- I joined the Triangle Group, right? Yeah, that's my that's my gang sign there. <laughs> right, John? Yeah. And uh, you know, it, uh, he, he talked to me about a higher power. He talked to me about page forty-six and forty-seven about my own conception of a god. And um, you know, my higher powers changed uh, throughout my sobriety. I'll be six years sober on the thirtieth of this month, actually. And um, Thank you. I really didn't do much. I just, uh, I got teachable. Actually, uh, you know, so uh, I, Hank told me what to go home and pray, and I went home and I got on my knees and I just said, you know, dude, whatever. It was dude first year, and then it was Jerry Garcia for a couple months, because yeah, it was my own conception. It was my own higher power, so I went through all these weirdo higher powers, and, you know, I refused, uh, you know, for a while I refused to call myself alcoholic in meeting, and I had some old-timers tell me you have to have a desire to stop drinking uh, if you're going to be here. And, uh, you know, so uh, eventually I got weaned off the end because um, I'm not unique. I was told Dr. Bob, Bill, Dr. Paul, everybody did other things, but in Alcoholics Anonymous, they're just alcoholics. And, uh, you know, they finally got that through to me that I'm not an end and I'm not unique. So today I'm just an alcoholic, Jeff, and if I go to another fellowship, I may be something else. I think I qualify for all of them, so it's okay. Um, I'll have plenty of time to be something else someday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I struggled with the, the, the first part of the first step. And, uh, you know, I had my last, when I went back to that Pennsylvania and did that four-month relapse where I had come back down, I had tested that theory that I read on the plane about the phenomenon of craving. I thought, this is a bunch of crap who made this up. Phenomenon of craving, woo. And <laughs> I set out when I got home to drink two beers and stop. I'm going to prove that phenomenon is wrong. And <laughs> Damn. Uh, that's a real thing, the phenomenon of craving. Once you, you know, page 44 talks about that's how you find out if you are alcoholic or not. Once you start drinking, you find you cannot quit entirely or have little or no control over the amount you take. You're probably alcoholic. It's like, ding! I am alcoholic. Um, you know, and I, I had to test things because I don't believe people. I, I couldn't believe myself. I can believe you people. You know, I remember they, they told me when I first came here that my best thinking got me here. I was proud of that for my first couple of weeks. I, I had, I was strutting around. My thinking got me here. I was telling other newcomers, I don't know about you, but my thinking got me here, man. You know, I didn't know that was a bad thing. I had no freaking clue. You know, uh, I, had, I had read in the big book on page 85, it says, we have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So I called Hank one day and I said, how do I, how do I maintain my spiritual condition? Oh, I'm all excited. I got something cool here. And, and uh, he says, how do you take care of your 63 Corvette? I said, well, I don't have one of those. He said, exactly. <laughs> he says, you need to go get a spiritual condition. I said, well, how do I get one of those, Hank? He said, you might want to take the decision and then take the rest of the steps. 
Um, you know, he told me that steps one and two were a conclusion of the mind, and step three is just a decision. It's a decision I may need to take every day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I take it every day. I get on my knees and I do the third step prayer. Since every day, since about my first and a half year of sobriety, I believe, I, I've been on my knees every morning and every night since then. Um, since I started to get some faith and believe that there was something going on and there's something greater than me. Um, I wanted to talk some more about the steps, but we're not going to have time. But I will, um, you know, the fourth and fifth step, you know, uh, actually they read those nine-step promises in all the meetings. And when the first couple times I heard that, I said, no, that crap's never going to happen to me, man. Ain't no way. And H Hank had me um, reading uh, the, the fifth step promises on page 75 in the big book where it says, we can look the world in the eye. We'll begin to know the, the feeling of peace and ease. And we'll be, uh, begin to be alone by ourselves and be comfortable by ourselves. And we'll feel the nearness of our creator. And we'll have the feeling that the drink problem has left us will come strongly. And he made me read those promises every day. He said, these are the ones you need to be concentrating on right now. Those nine-step promises are down the road for you. And, um, you know, I, I did that. And uh, I kept reading that. So I wanted that. And I did the fourth and fifth step with my sponsor. And I, I didn't get that great feeling that I hear some people talk about in the fourth and fifth step. And I've since done a couple more. Um, uh, I was of the slow variety, maybe, that they talk about. Um, you know, one of the, you know, we talked about six and seven, and uh, I was taught a little trick for six and seven that, you know, uh, when I'm disturbed or I'm having a conflict with another human being during the day or night or whenever it is or something's bugging me, uh, it probably goes up to that 10-step spiritual action. When I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And if I trace the trail and stop there at that time and find out what's going on, uh, most cases I'm living in one of my defects of character. So I need to do six and seven right there on the spot. And I need to do six and seven almost every day. There's something that goes on in my life where I should be doing six and seven every day. And he taught me a little trick. It's name it, claim it, and ask God to tame it. So you know, I, I name my defect of character. I claim it that it is mine. It's nobody else this time. <laughs> it's nobody else's fault that I'm feeling crappy. Uh, I mean, and, uh, and I ask God. I get on my knees and ask God to remove this from me now because, you know, every, every, everything that I've asked God for that that I need has happened, not everything that I want. You know, and I know wants and needs are two different things today. What I what I need is a, a roof over my head, some food inside me, and God in my heart. And I'm going to be all right today, and, and I know that today. You know, when um when I got to the the, the ninth step, um, with a lot of fear with the ninth step, I had a I had a scroll, man. It's like unbelievable. I robbed and stealed and cheated everybody that I came into contact with, and them. You know, uh, I learned the difference between the, 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 the direct amends and the living amends, and, um, you know, I'll be doing living amends forever. Um, I went to Pennsylvania with nine months of sobriety, and still in the corner of my mind, I was chasing the girl that took me to my first AA meeting in 98, and um, uh, the, one that, the one that I was going to Walmart with. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm so grateful for her, and we're still friends today, actually. We've been married and divorced, and... Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I went to Pennsylvania and I, I did, uh, we, I went with, over my sponsor all the amends that I could possibly make while I was up there. And uh, I made 18 direct amends. I made two at the cemetery to my brother and sister, and I started two financial amends. And, um, you know, when I flew back to Tampa, I was getting off the plane and we were landing. And uh, the, the lady next to me, a little old lady, she said, are, are you visiting? And I said, no, I'm coming home. And that was the first time I had called uh, Florida home. And, um, and I started crying uncontrollably. And um, 
you know, she said, what's wrong? I, and I told her. I probably shouldn't have told her. <laughs> she said, what's wrong? And I said, I, I have a feeling that no drink, no drug, or no sexual pleasure has ever given me right now at this moment. And um, I don't know if that was the start of my spiritual awakening or part of my spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, and I don't care what it was. I know it was real good. And it was the start of something that, you know, um, you know my drinking and drugging became a... Uh, uh, it was a routine which became habit, which became a way of life. And now Alcoholics Anonymous, that's happened to me. Doing this deal with you all started as a routine, which became a habit, now it's a way of life for me. And I want more of this, like I wanted more of the drink and drug. I want as much of this as I can possibly get. It's uh, unbelievable how I chase this thing now. Um, you know, um, I, got, I got a bunch of sponsees, and uh, I love them all, and they all keep me sober, and they all call me, and... <laughs> I try to set an example, and I'm in service. I'm a GSR at my home group. I've been an intergroup rep. Um, I get involved and do things with my home group. Um, you know, services, gratitude, and action. Um, you know, where would we be today if Bill, if Bill didn't reach out and do all the things that he did for us? I mean, the guy mortgaged his house. The guy went out of his way to get this thing underway. You know, uh, Hank asked me two weeks before he died, um, I was having a talk with him, and he asked me, do you believe Alcoholics Anonymous has saved your life? And I said, oh, definitely, Hank, definitely. You know, I'm trying to give all the right answers still. And he said, you better start showing it then. I was like, wow, it really whacked me when he said that. It hit me in the heart. I was, you know, when you get in AA, the things they say to you start to hit your heart instead of your head. <laughs> For a while, everything just hit me in the head. And, uh, you know, I get goosebumps today. I get, I get happy. I get cheery. I'm still a very emotional person. You know, um, when I went up to... Pennsylvania last June, and um, my niece was uh, going to be there from Hawaii. Actually, I've been to Hawaii since, and my sister invited me there, and that's just another gift, another promise that's not in our book. There's uh, millions and millions of promises and gifts that we can get out of this thing. And, um, you know, uh, I talked to my sponsor about making amends to my niece, and she was young, and she didn't understand this, so we decided we could not make a direct amends to her to let her know. I never called her Allison. Her name was Allison. I called her the kid, the brat, yeah, what's-her-name. Can you get rid of what's-her-name so we can go do our thing? And I'd take my sister and, you know, I'd, we'd take prisoners and get her involved in my chaos whenever she came to town. And so uh, my sponsor said, just do as much as many things as you can with her. So I took her miniature coffin, I took her ice cream, and, and we did all these crazy fun things. And uh, she told me uh, before I got to leave and go on my flight, she said, you're one of the coolest uncles I have. And just little things like that, man. They hit you here, and it's just like, wow. You know, they say Alcoholics Anonymous sobers up drunks and puts families back together. I, I got a sponsor uh, here tonight, and he's here with his daughter, and they're in recovery together. Um, I got a sponsor who's made amends with his family back there, and he's awesome. I got another guy over here who's got his wife and kids back together, and they're just a great, happy family. And to get to watch that stuff go on. You know, they, they talk about, um, you know, you people used to talk about your wildest dreams when I got here. And you're going to be on your wildest dreams. I said, hey, shut up. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't get it. Um, I didn't think you people dreamed as cool as I did, obviously. Um, because when, when I heard that, I pictured myself, you know, a rock star billionaire on a yacht and 30 chicks are mud wrestling for me. That's my wildest dreams. I don't know how your wildest dreams go, but today I understand that that's, it's a whole different take on that wildest dreams. My wildest dreams today are that I, I care about Lou, I care about Jared, I care about Andy and his family. When I wake up in the morning, I think about other people. I want to go out of my way to help other people. That's a life beyond my wildest dreams because I never dreamed I would want to help anybody. It, it took on a whole new meaning for me. And, and uh, you know, that's all part of the awakening that I'm realizing that stuff that's going on here. 
You know, I went to a, a meditation retreat last year, and I, and I learned how to do some meditating. And, you know, alcoholics are the kind of people that find something that works real well and stop doing it. So I stopped doing it. <laughs> so I'm going again in March to, to retrain myself. And, um, you know, just the, the gifts that continue to come in this program. And, um, you know, I'll leave you with this final one. Um, uh, my, my father had passed in October. And, uh, you know, he was the, the best man at my first wedding. He was one of the smartest men I had ever met in my life. And, uh, you know, I loved him dearly. And uh, he didn't want us to come up there. And, uh, you know, he's dying of emphysema. And, uh, you know, uh, actually the day that he went on air was February 6, 2006. And my sister had died 20-some years before that on February 6. And I put down cigarettes that same day also. So that's a significant day in, in the family. And, um, you know, I went up there to, to see him, even though he requested nobody show. My sister came from Hawaii. My brother lives up there. And, you know, I, I got to do some more of that living amends. I, I got to sit up with my dad and give my stepmother, who I had a lot of resentments against at one time, and now we absolutely love each other and we're great friends. And, and I got to sit up with my dad and, and talk to him for a while. And I got to watch him go, you know, over to the point where he didn't know what was going on anymore. I got to change his diaper, you know, the role reversal from when I was a baby and the things that he did for me. And, you know, to be able to, to be there and go through that with, uh, with dignity is um, an, an, absolute, an absolute miracle. Um, you know, the, I get to watch other people do these things with their family, and you people train me. And, um, you know, when, uh, I'll give you one more quick story about how this, this God thing continues to work in my life. Um, when I was two and a half years sober, um, I was I was married um, to the girl that took me to my very first AA meeting back in '98, and she came down after a year of sobriety, and we both had like a year and something, and we hooked up and got back together. And um, she, at two and a half years sober, she was pregnant, and uh, we got married for the baby, and so the baby could have health care and all that stuff. And I came home from work one day, and um, she she wasn't there, and. Uh, no phone call, and day two, day three, day four, no phone call. Nobody knew where she was, her sponsor, nobody in the rooms anywhere. And we knew something bad was going on and something happened. I finally got a phone call. She said, um, I, I, I relapsed. And um, I said, why, baby? And, uh, she said, uh, they're going to take the baby from us. Uh, the baby didn't have any arms or legs. And, uh, you know, I wasn't there with her that day when she went to get the picture taken because I was too wrapped up in trying to make money and, not paying attention to little details, to people's feelings. And, you know, um, I hit a new bottom at that point in time. And uh, I, I've learned, um, you know, I used to hear people say in meetings, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. And I wasn't sure at that point in time whether I was faking it yet or if I was making it. I didn't know. I would still had that little fear. I wasn't really going to tell a lot of people about that. And, you know, AA kicked in. All I cared about is what I could do to help her get sober, help her get back on track. I was a little overboard with it. I wanted to become her sponsor. <laughs> but, you know, that's the insanity. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I truly, truly learned to hate the disease and not the person. And I learned that I was powerless over alcohol when she was drinking it. Um, you know, but you, you people taught me so many wonderful things that today we're still friends. I got invited up there for Christmas to Georgia where her and her daughter and my step-granddaughter lived together. My, my stepdaughter actually wrote me a letter about six months ago, and she says, um, it said, uh, basically, I, I love the way you've kept in contact with me and Jimmy, which is her brother. Um, through thick and thin, you've always called us. You've always contacted us, sent us birthday presents, Christmas, yada, yada. And um, she says, I'll always consider you my stepfather, and I want you to be a step-grandfather to my daughter. 
And uh, that's the stuff, man. I got to go up there the day after Christmas, and uh, I just had an absolute blast with my granddaughter. And, uh, you know, these things happen for two reasons, Alcoholics Anonymous and God. So, um, you know, I hope you people find your path and uh, find your miracles and continue to have them one day at a time. And thanks again for allowing me to speak.